0: Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to see you here. We are in uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, uh, We just finished chapter 53. Let me give you a little bit of summary. On our Wednesday night uh, studies, what we do is we take a book of the Bible and go through it one verse at a time. And uh, we went back and started... (laughs) <laughs> it's been about a year now in the Old Testament I was just going to do Genesis but I couldn't let go of it I've been having so much fun with this so we've gone all the way from Genesis through uh, the book of Kings and uh, so now which pretty much covers the bulk of the history of the Jewish people up until the time that they were all taken away into captivity okay this is like a major turning point in the, in the Jewish history book um, and so now what we're doing now is we're going back and we're taking a look at all these other books in the Bible, they're not really necessarily put in there in order, we're trying to do them in order for you just to give you a sense of what they were about and what they were talking about and um, uh, we, we haven't been doing a verse by verse of all of this, uh, what we're really doing is uh, we're kind of doing a very light summary of some of these prophetic books to give you a sense and stuff, we may so sometime in the future come, go back and do a really in-depth thing. Uh, on some of these books, but uh, we're just kind of giving you an oversight right now. So we are, we've gone through Joel and Habakkuk and some of these uh, smaller books, now we're in Isaiah, it's called one of the major prophets, mainly because they're so big, you know, it's really thick, Ezekiel and uh, Isaiah and stuff are known as major prophets, but Isaiah is considered a major prophet in other senses that so much of what he said was a major deal in uh, uh, in the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, very many times in the New Testament, we were looking at some of those last week, uh, it uh, quotes Isaiah. Jesus himself quoted Isaiah. They oftentimes quoted Isaiah. He was like a major voice uh, in prophetic thought. Now what Isaiah is doing, he's a prophet to Israel. Remember the kingdom of of the Israelites, God's chosen people, had broken into two kingdoms. It's basically like a north and the south, kind of like civil war kind of thing. Where of the 12 tribes, 10 of them... We're from the north and two of them, Judah and some little tiny one, Manasseh or whatever they're called, uh, is, is in the south. And they had uh, different kings and different prophets at times God would come and speak to them. And Isaiah was a prophet uh, who was speaking uh, to, uh, to the uh, northern tribes uh, and warning them of God's impending judgment. Which apparently they never heeded because God's judgment did eventually come. And completely wipe out the ten tribes. They were known from thenceforth as the lost tribes of Israel. If you ever hear that thing, the lost tribes. Why? Because you know, up until this point, up until this point, you have like genealogies. You can find exactly who came from whom and all that kind of stuff. Well, when these guys got swept away uh, because of their sin, and God just you know, they're the lost tribes. Uh, and who, who knows if anybody even has any of that anymore? And um, they continued to track for Judah. That's where I actually get the word Jew. Uh, They became the dominant uh, force. And that's what was pretty much there when Jesus came. And then the Romans came and wiped them totally off the face of that, And they were spread throughout all the world for, you know, almost 2,000 years until just recently. We'll talk more about that as we get into toward the end of Isaiah. But um, one of the things about Isaiah is he's warning them of God's judgment. God is going to kick your butt, basically, is what he's saying, because of their sin. At the same time, he could see the horror of of what was about to happen because they wouldn't turn from their sin. But at the same time prophesied of the restoration that will happen as a result later. So there was like judgment and hope at the same time. I'm going to kick your butt, but I'll still love you later. Okay, that kind of thing. And as he's prophesying, he would speak very specific prophecies about the Messiah. And some of it was a little confusing because... uh, At one point, he would refer to the Messiah as this conquering king, and other times as this suffering Messiah who took on him the sins of the world. Chapter 53, very explicit, we read it last week, where he prophesied that this Messiah would be rejected and killed, numbered among the transgressors. We know he was hung among two thieves, that he would be pierced. Jesus was pierced in the side he would be buried in a rich tomb exactly what happened Um, so many specific prophecies about Jesus that to know the book of Isaiah and to reject Jesus as Messiah would have been a really tough thing to do and I shared with you before we started this that many Jewish scholars believe because there's so many similarities you have to acknowledge Jesus Christ was the Messiah based on what you read here they don't do it though what they say is they believe that christians later wrote all those things into the story so it would match up with isaiah that's how they blow it off i would say they are making a big mistake because jesus actually did do all those things and all those things happened to him as witnessed by so many people and documented and in historical fact and and, uh, and of course in the gospels and stuff uh, that would have been quite the uh, coordinated effort to create such a such a big conspiracy of thought but they would they have to do that or they have to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah it's that strong and it's quite stunning Uh, Isaiah is the one who said a virgin would conceive and give birth Uh, he we would call his name Emmanuel uh, and uh, all the you know all those things that we often quote at Christmas time those verses that you hear are often quoted from Isaiah Isaiah had amazing prophecies about the suffering Messiah the the, the king messiah which, which will still happen when Jesus comes back see from our viewpoint now it all makes sense but when this was first written they didn't they couldn't—didn't quite grasp it so anyway um, God's going to get you God's going to get you God's going to get you still prophesying prophesying God's going to get you telling the messiah God's going to get you and then at chapter 54 although, although we've seen flashes of it they really start getting into now chapters 54, 55, 56, 57 58 um Maybe even 59, 60. I'm I'm going to take these verses and we are going to read this section verse by verse for insights because what we see here is some of the most dramatic and amazing phraseology of God's heart for his people and how he reasons with them. And says, if you will turn from your sins, I will redeem you. I will forgive you. At the beginning of Isaiah, he says, let's reason together. Come on, use your brains. What are you doing? And all that kind of stuff. And it's some of the most beautiful phrases about mercy and forgiveness and grace. And um, a lot of it quoted uh, by Christians uh, for the last 2,000 years, even to this day. So let's take a look at it. We're going to start with chapter 54. We've just read... All about this Messiah that was coming. And then he picks it up. He says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. What is he talking about? Uh, Turn over to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 26. Actually, we back up a little bit more. Verse 24, actually. Uh, Paul is writing to these Jewish Christians. And he says, These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Uh, Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, and who does he quote? Isaiah, the very verse I just read to you, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband." He goes on to explain, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But at the time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, if you're still confused, I can understand. It's a little hard to track. He's talking about Abraham. Uh, God said that Sarah would have a child. That was the child of promise. Okay. Well, at some point, Sarah said, God must have made a mistake. Like God makes mistakes, you know. He misspoke. I'm sure he meant something else. So he said, take Hagar, my maidservant, have sex with her and have children with her. Of course, Abraham said, "Uh, okay, you know, shame on him. Anyway, so... He, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of hard to say no if your wife's signing off on that deal. So, anyway, he, he, he has children with her, but this is the child, you know, that eventually the mother and the child are, are pushed away. And, and the children of promise is the one that gave great promise. And what Paul is talking about, he's, he's trying to let the Jews remember, remind the Jews that faith is really based more on promise and faith than on the technicalities of being the uh, Old Testament law. That really was his point. We are children of the promise, okay? And this is how he's prophesying. The children of the desolate woman who was Sarai, who uh, has more than the one, you know, of, uh, in the normal way. So that's what all that, because it was one of the famous scriptures in the New Testament. So I just thought I'd point that out to you. All right, verse two Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your curtain your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not suffer shame, do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now all of this, he's talking about the restoration that is going to happen with Israel. Now how much these people at the time even knew what he was talking about is highly unlikely because the judgment hasn't even come yet. But just as sure as it was going to come, God's even looking further down the road of this redemption that is coming. Um, He says, to me this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. You remember that? God's wipes out the earth makes a promise off the sign of the rainbow says i will never flood the earth again and he says it's the same kind of deal now so now i have sworn not to be angry with you never to rebuke you again though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the lord who has compassion on you now the question in all of this is when is this is this during the millennial reign of Christ that we talked about last week where Jesus is going to come back and rule for a thousand years? Is this since Israel became a nation in 1948? Is this, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to figure. But it's talking about this time where I will never again rebuke you. Uh, o afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels. And all of your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. And great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Now as I read that I think. Millennial reign of Christ. Jesus is actually here. And you know. um, But who knows. Uh, In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack attack you. It will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have create, created and destroyed the work of havoc. And then a very, very familiar verse of Scripture, Particularly, particular, anybody who watches TBN. No weapon forged against you will prevail. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, it says in the King James Version. Uh, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me declares the Lord I I mentioned that I mean it's a major major verse of scripture mostly by word of faith pastors who just quote this verse over and over you can hardly turn on TBN without hearing somebody in an hour or two quote that verse no weapon formed against you will prosper. no form you know what they're trying to do is encourage you that no matter what happens you will succeed which is great hallelujah All right, um, not sure exactly it's in the context of the way they quote it but uh, he's talking about uh, blessing Israel and, uh, and this peace that will be all over them and then he starts to reason with them chapter 55 this is where it really gets beautiful he says come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat Come buy wine and milk. How can I? I don't have any money. You don't need any money. I'll give you the money, he says. Without money, without cost. Come all you who are thirsty. Those of you who are hungry. You know, this is really a call of, of God reaching out to people and certainly a sign today of God's grace. Uh, and all you got to do a lot of you just look at your own lives. I mean, there's, there's, there was a time when many of us were extremely hungry for something more in our lives thirsting for something more it's like, you know, you can if you really have the hunger of God in you and you turn to the world it never fills you up there's never enough money there's never enough boys or girls there's never enough friends there's never enough stuff never enough drugs or alcohol no matter how desperately people try to fill the needs of their lives it just doesn't work But God is saying to them, listen, if you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. See, he will meet the needs. It's a beautiful thing. Why spend money on what is not bread? Stuff that doesn't really satisfy. And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My my faithful love promised to David. Basically, he said, of all these incredible promises and covenant and agreement that I made with King David, whom they revered at such a high level, he says, I'll make the same deal with you. I'll make the same deal with you. Have you ever run across someone who's really, really good at business? I'm not. You know, but some guys, you know, they just, everything they touch turns to gold and you hear them about getting some great deal or some great discount or maybe because they work for the company they get a big discount or something like that. It's like the person who's selling says, you know that great discount that this guy got? I'll do the same deal with you what a cool thing, I mean there's great promises to to David that I will forever be connected to you throughout eternity and God is saying I'll make the same deal with you if you'll just come of course what's really sad is the people did not come, they refused to turn away from their sins they continued to rebel against God the whole group of them were wiped out and uh, taken off into captivity, became the lost tribes But what a beautiful picture of God reaching out. He says, See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader to the commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, he has endowed you with splendor. Again, talking about sometime in the future when they will be so highly revered among nations. Seek the Lord. This is a great verse, by the way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. But oftentimes people will think, you know, well, I'll call on God when I need him. And then I'll wait till, you know, I'll wait till I'm in trouble. You know, I'll wait till I'm on my deathbed. I'm going to keep partying. And then, I, you know, no, don't be so foolish. You do not know what time you have you do not know what is given to you in in the snap of a finger you could be in a car wreck on the way home one minute you see bright lights the next minute you're in eternity don't be so foolish Uh, it reminds me of the parable that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man said I have much I got it made man it's cool I'm putting in big screen TVs everything is great I've got my you know investments, everything's going to be good. In fact, I need, to, I need to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. We're going to really have lots of money. And that, that fool, Jesus said, you fool, your, your life would be required of you that night. Boom, just like that, he was gone. And, uh, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's there. When you have the opportunity, and trust me, you want to call on God uh, and not wait until you are in a desperate situation and i 'll tell you why it's it's it 's not that God is mean or harsh but uh this is just popping in my head here there's there 's something in in proverbs let me see if I can find it real quick proverbs one chapter one verse twenty eight no, no, even before that da, 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 that's 23 Proverbs 1, 23 it, it kind of sounds again like the Spirit of God speaking through Isaiah trying to reason with the people if you had responded to my rebuke I would have poured out my heart to you same kind of picture, isn't it? and made my thoughts known to you if you have just come to me but then read the rest but since you rejected me when I called And no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. Whoa! You know, I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Man, when you're in trouble, you don't want God giggling. Somebody say, man. Man, you know, I thought he was so smart. (laughs) Watch this. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelms you, then they will call out to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but I, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, since they would not ex- accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat of the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. And they anyway, pretty nasty stuff. Now literally he's speaking about wisdom that wisdom will laugh at them but it's hard not to see a picture of of God talking this way throughout the Bible you you want to seek him when he's near you want to call upon him now you know, know, it's it's like it's kind of like preventative medicine you know, how many know it's best not to get cancer than to get cancer and to worry about what you're going to eat and be healthy You know, better not to have a massive heart attack and need five bypasses than to, you know, eat and take care of yourself now instead of waiting for that to happen and then, and I got to admit, for most men, because we are stubborn creatures, most men get very serious about their health at my age when something goes really badly, you know. They have a close call you know the doctor or something tells them they're going to die their cholesterol's you know 917 or you know whatever it is uh, heart attacks are kind of all of a sudden now they get very sick i I've known some friends today they are of uh, the picture of health much healthier than I am quite frankly I should be listening to my own words as I'm preaching here but <laughs> you know why are they so circumspect about everything they eat? Bypasses, baby, that's why, you know, heart attacks, you know, troubles with doctors, all of a sudden, whoo, you got my attention. You know, that kind of thing. So, well, we can debate that. Certainly in a spiritual sense, you don't want to be trying to wait till you're in an absolute disaster to call on God. You want you want to lay up treasures in heaven before you need a withdrawal. Does that make any sense? You know, I feel comfortable tonight because if I need to and I promise you I am no holder of great wealth but I do have some money in the bank and I'm not afraid of any bills that will come at me this week pretty much because I know I have enough to you know what I'm saying better to have the money in the bank ready for any eventualities than to get the thing and freak out because you have no money in the bank there we go anyways it's a great warning to young people who think well I got plenty of time it's no big deal Um, So, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Verse 7 of 55, Isaiah. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways. Your ways, my ways, declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not oh well that's going to be next verse here let me talk about this here my thoughts are higher than your thoughts my ways are higher than your ways um, what he's trying to say is seek my thoughts look at the way I look at things you know, my ways are not like your ways lift up your head, pay attention okay Um, you know, the bracelet WWJD, what would Jesus do? okay, think like that the problem is, many, many, many Christians wear many, many, many bracelets they do, what would Jesus do? what would Oprah do? what would Paris Hilton do? what would my friends do? what would my mother-in-law do? What would my, you know, on and on and on. They've got so many different values and they just jump from value to value to value. And it's, you know, God is not just another line of thought like everybody else's lines of thought. Are you hearing me? God's words is is not like, well, you know, well, Buddhism is a great, you know, I'm sure it is. Well, Islam has some great thoughts. I'm sure they do. But when we're talking about the thoughts of God, we're talking way beyond anything man has ever been able to come up with. And he's saying, my thoughts, look up, pay attention, learn my thoughts, get the thoughts of God in you. Which, you're here tonight to do that very thing. So, okay, now, the next verse says this. I love this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish. In other words, so that it yields, keep going, so so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater." You know, just like this, when it rains and stuff, it's raining for a reason, a purpose. If there's no rain, you basically get the Sahara Desert. I mean, it's nothing but, you know, um, sand, 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 and sand, and sand, and sand, and they've got more sand than they you know what they do with. Of course, if they let the federal government take over, they'd, they'd even run out of sand. But uh, anyway, I don't want to go there. But uh, only they could ruin such a thought. But, uh, but when water falls, it brings life to the earth, Right? it replenishes the earth when all that happens there's a reason for it happen just like it doesn't happen for nothing it gives life just as that analogy he says so is my word that comes out of my mouth again a very famous verse here so is my word that goes out of my mouth it will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it which is very very strong which is, again, this is a very, very famous verse of scripture. I know you're hearing some of these kind of ringing bells as we're going along. These verses are quoted a lot in in, uh, a lot of sermons, a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching uh, throughout the last 2,000 years from from Isaiah, because they're such beautiful, powerful words. My word word that goes out from me, uh, out of my mouth, will not return to me empty. Or the King James word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish that which I've sent it to do. We can trust in God's word. You can put your hope and stand upon God's promises. You get God's promises and you learn God's promises and you stand upon these promises in your life. It means something. It's not weak. It's not wussy. You know, it's not, you know, it's just very nice philosophy, you know, Christian philosophy. Listen, we are not philosophy people. We are people who follow God. God and the words of God and God's words mean something and you can stand on those words and you can depend on those words sad to say you can't really do that with my words okay now I, yeah, what are you clapping for God, you, know, you know I mean I will try to be as honest and, and a friend as I can but I'm a human being and at some point Marky will let you down Throw that person out of the church. Excommunicate that heathen. No, but, but it's true. I mean, I, I will let you down. I, I won't try to let you down. And I won't just casually say, it doesn't matter if I let them down. I would take it very seriously. But despite my greatest effort, and don't yell amen, despite my greatest effort, <laughs> I will probably fail you at some point. I will forget something. You will ask me to do something. I will totally drop the ball. I will say I will be there at such and such time to meet you and I won't show up. Not because I hate you, but I'm a complete space cadet and I don't know where I'm at half the time anyway. And and uh, so you know, I, so this as, as as upright and as dependable as I try to be, even I will fail you. Even the people around you Will fail you. Even the people who love you the most—have you ever noticed? Sometimes they fail you. You know, they—you know, your husband, despite his great promises, at times is a great disappointment. <laughs> your wife, at times, despite her willingness to be used by God, at times, you know, it's nasty and ugly. Okay. But the good news is, even though we are surrounded by people who cannot always be there God says you can depend on me I will never leave you I will never forsake you those Bible verses that you quote that's that's not gobbledygook it's not some weak little wussy thought that word is powerful it will accomplish exactly what I said if I promise I would do something according to whatever promise you take I mean it and it will happen we can trust in him (laughs) amen (laughs) amen Eh, all right, we're let these people back in church now. All right, so. You will go out and joy, it says in verse 12, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Hallelujah. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Again. Beautiful pictures from a prophet who basically told you uh, you're all going to die a miserable death because of your sin. I am coming. I am kicking butt. I am not kidding around. He did try to warn them and reason with them. If you would return to me we could avoid all this, but they didn't do it. And God knew they wouldn't. But yet in the midst of what was coming and the desolation of what would happen and the misery as they were dragged off into who knows where and their sons and daughters murdered and I mean, this is a big deal. When these people carried people away into captivity, this wasn't, you know, you know, the local fire department telling you you need to move your house to the other, you know, to Bellevue instead of Green Bay. I mean, this was a major deal. They took you. They took everything. You became slaves. You had no rights. Your children, uh, if they, they felt so, they would kill them. Your husband uh, they would come take pregnant women. And these guys were brutal. they take pregnant women and just cut them open and rip out the babies that are still, you know, six months. or into. I mean, these were brutally violent people when they came in. And they brought terror at a level that I don't think any of us can really even begin to comprehend. This is what happened to these people. It was horrible. God had warned. Now, in all fairness, God had we read this, I mean, for years, hundreds of years, he's reasoning with them, I mean, he's putting up, I would to kill them all a whole lot earlier than that, I mean, he just put up with it, and he was patient, and kind, and kind, but they were into sacrificing their own children, which we'll read a little bit later here, God talks about that, sexually immoral off the charts, we'll talk, we'll see that as we get into a few of these other chapters, uh, their sin, it was no small deal, these weren't people who just didn't pay their taxes, these weren't people who got mad because the dog's neighbor's dog pooped in their yard I mean these were people who were wicked at a level that's hard to even comprehend they wouldn't repent and then finally God said I've had enough and these invading armies came in and crushed them but as they were being pulled away in those and in the tears of their agony and despair they could open up the words of Isaiah and they would read you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. Are you kidding me? All I see before me is death, destruction, wailing, and crying, and misery. But God says he will not forget us. God will restore us. The trees of the field someday will clap their hands. This was great hope to them in the midst of all this horrible stuff that they had um, taken would that they would have listened to God in the first place and not have to go through all this but how many of you know even people today we still have that problem we just don't listen we just don't listen Um, let's get a little bit into chapter 56 this is what the Lord says maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed blessed is the man who does this the man who holds it fast who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say will the Lord surely exclude me from his people and let not any eunuch complain I am only a dry tree (laughs) which would be easy to do if you were a eunuch (laughs) think of through, people okay for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them I will uh, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off uh, this is basically comforting one of the things that they would do is they would come in and take these guys and they would make eunuchs of them which is really a drag you know what a eunuch is right you don't really, no wonder you're not responding it's when they cut off a man's testicles ok Booya, hello. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know why would they do that? It makes them more docile, takes away their sex drive, and then they would be in charge of the uh, harems and stuff of the of the of the princes. And they did this a lot uh, to these guys. So they would arrest they would take them as part of their thing. M- tons of them were turned into eunuchs, which is a drag. I mean, most men we are rather attached to our paraphernalia. But uh um so, <laughs> I'm one of them. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, uh, but e- even to those, he's saying, uh, you, you, again, it's, it's, it's his way of putting hope in their hearts. If you will trust me, if you'll do what I'll say, even though you don't have sons and daughters, I'll give you a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give you, I mean, it's just God's... See, here's the beauty of it. No matter how awful your life can end up, no matter... If you've lost everything, no matter if your cojones have been trimmed from your life. Are you hearing me? God says, I will always bring hope. I will always bring redemption. Now, personally, I would have opted to obey God in the first place and not lost my cojones. Okay? That's what I vote for. Okay? But even, even if you've blown it, even if you've missed it, there's hope, right? There's redemption. Some of you guys over here, you've blown it, right? You've blown it. You're serving time, right? Of course, the only real distance between you and us is you got caught. But uh, uh, you... <laughs> it's really true. I'm telling you, you know, there's a few things I'd have been up the creek for if they'd have caught me. Thank God I got saved before all that happens, okay? But even when they've taken your freedom... There's still life. There's still hope. There's still redemption. What can man do to me? See, that's what you When you start to understand who God is, the power of redemption, and to say, like, oh, pastor, I've blown it. I've made mistakes. It's been terrible. I've been divorced and remarried 47 times. You know, I, I've got children I've sold for money. You know, I, I don't know, whatever your deal is. There's always hope for you. you so, well, I've, I've done horrible things. There's still hope for you. I made all the wrong decisions. Yeah, we don't want you to make the wrong decisions. We're going to try and warn you and help you so you don't make the wrong decisions. That's the whole purpose of the church being here is to help you and your children as they're being taught throughout the church at at, at, at different levels is we're trying to teach them, man, do life right. Reason, listen to God. He's saying, do it right. Listen to me. Call me when I'm near. But even if you've done it wrong and done everything wrong, the good news is it's never too late for you it's never too late you know, it's a beautiful thing it's all of this stuff so, uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll stop at the cojones and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be an easy point to remember when we come back and as we take a look at this anyway, it, it keeps. It's, it's very very neat as we keep looking at this um uh, about turning away from your sins, turning to God. I will redeem you. I will give you life. I will give you hope. Uh, chapter 58. If we get to it next week, we probably will. Some pretty strong things about you know making sure you're you're serving God the right way. I mean, he, I, I'm telling you, Isaiah covers it all. It's it's really quite brilliant, especially in these handful of chapters. And then uh, then we'll continue on. So okay, see you all next Wednesday.